you know, Stalin and the Nazis were these welfare state types. Uh, One of us is a stand-up comic. Can you tell who it is, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> Peckerwood Brick. Um. <laughs> but the problem. <laughs> Oh my god, that's like, I could use that to teach the whole arc. Do we have any kind of archaeological evidence, any kind of, any kind of other corroborating evidence? noteworthy to share uh, right now. But uh, what do you got going on? Well, I'm a Latin teacher and a drama teacher up here in Northern California. My name's Damien Harmony. Uh, and I have a deep and abiding love for graphic novels as well as for uh, the history of well, a lot of things that are really, really unpleasant, which is why I really enjoyed the last <laughs> few episodes of the Sherlock Holmes stuff. Um, because we we're talking about British Empire, so yes. Um, other than that, I can tell you mm, not too terribly much, to be perfectly honest. It's winter time, so it essentially is my time to shine uh, because it gets dark early, and I can go outside and not get a sunburn. So, <laughs> well, you know, isn't the summertime literally your time to shine? Because you know the sun shines off of you rather like the moon it's it's more that that's and that's the time for appeals um nice. because my skin it appeals it appeals <laughs> really i go from salmon to scarlet back to salmon like it's not yeah yeah no i'm, I'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure you've you've heard this story from me but mm. have i shared on the podcast about the the worst sunburn i've ever witnessed uh no but you mentioned graphic novels i did and so, so I'm curious because I, I have a sneaking suspicion mm -hmm. that's going to be related to what we're going to be talking about this evening. Yeah, you know, it occurred to me that in all of our talks lately uh, of, um, let's see, what have we talked about? We talked about zombies. We got into England because we had Shaun of the Dead and we had yeah. uh, a few, the 28 Days Later. And then yeah. you, you've been talking about Sherlock. Yes. Um, and uh, it, it occurred to me that, you know, I, I did a very British-based podcast, uh, but when we had a guest... Um, yes, I, I believe, missed out on Yeah. I missed out on this. This yeah. is V for Vendetta, isn't it? It is V for Vendetta, yeah. Um, so previously, we'd had a friend of the show, uh, Tim Watts, a comic book artist. It was a very good get for us um, to, to discuss this specific thing. Um, and, uh, it occurred to me that we should maybe bring it back 
um, so that Perhaps. you would get your reactions in there as well. Um, and so settle in because this is the V for Vendetta episode, um, which nice. I've which I've titled V for Vendetta was overblown for its time, which makes it perfect for our time. Also, the movie too, but in a totally different time. And yeah, I can't argue with any of that. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm interested in getting into the details, but like you make that <laughs> statement and there's no part of me that wants to go, well, okay, but yeah, like, the title's oh, in the thesis. I can't, it's it's yeah. Frederick Douglass. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, All right. so yeah, uh, V for Vendetta was a graphic novel written almost right in line with the victory of Thatcherism. Uh, it debuted in 1983, and it was wildly unpopular in the anthology in which it was printed. Really? Yeah. No one fucking liked it. Um, however, later it was bought by DC, and it yeah. they published it in a color in a 10-issue series, series uh, and finished its arc. So okay. it, it was written by Alan Moore. Uh, you, yep. you would know him famous, from... Famous mm-hmm. for Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Uh, famous also for the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, uh-huh. all of which, interestingly, have statements to make about empire mm-hmm. and about colonialism and cult of personality surrounding and, superheroes. And, yeah, yeah, I yep. like that cult yep. of personality, and and to one extent or another, they are deconstructions reconstructions yeah that's kind of his thing and in fact that brings us to two of the other things he wrote swamp thing yes and batman the killing joke yes yeah yeah Yeah. um both of which managed to be very potent stories in their own right and Mm -hmm. also intensely meta yes yes uh, now he did V for Vend- he wrote V for Vendetta. Uh, David Lloyd was the man who illustrated it. Um, in in a reprint of all of it, David Lloyd said this about V for Vendetta: "Quote, there aren't many cheeky, cheery characters in V for Vendetta. It's for people who don't switch off the news." So. <laughs> Boy, the understatement in the first part of that quote. Yeah. Yeah. But that (laughs) kind of goes away to explain why it was not very popular in its anthology that it was printed in either. Uh, What what was the anthology? Oh, Lordy. I I don't recall the name. Because it wasn't AD 2000, was it? No, I don't believe so. I would have remembered that name. Um, I don't recall the name, but... Yeah, it 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 wasn't like something that housed Archie and Veronica at the same time, but at the same time, it like it y- wasn't it yeah. wasn't heavy metal, right? You know, right. let's so. let's get gritty. Let's, right, let's right. you know totally upend the establishment. Yeah. yeah. So okay. now in the original DC Comics run for V Vendetta, Vendetta uh, Alan Moore said the following. He said, "Quote." Naivete can also be detected in my supposition that it would take something as a as a mel- I'm sorry that it would take something as melodramatic as a near miss nuclear conflict to nudge England toward fascism. It's 1988 now. Margaret Thatcher is entering her third term of office and talking confidently of an unbroken conservative leadership well into the next century. I'm going to break there for a second. He was right. They just changed brands. Uh, coming back to the, <laughs> coming back yeah. to the quote, 
the tabloid press are circulating the idea of concentration camps for persons with AIDS. Again, I'll break out. This was 1988. Yes. Breaking back in. Uh, By the way, before I break back in, uh, Reagan had only just acknowledged AIDS as a thing, I believe, in 86 or 87. Um, Yeah, and and even after acknowledging that it was a thing. Right. They were dragging their feet and there was a lot of like you've you've talked mm-hmm. about in past episodes about, well, why are you so concerned about it, Bob? Right. You know, making fun of, of the reporter who's like, dude, the fuck's going on here? Yeah. People are dying, assholes. Yeah. And I just yeah. I just bring that up because uh, we're heading into I'm going to date this this episode. Uh, mm. Omicron has just been found or reported upon uh, in the last day or so. Uh Yet another variant of a, oh, Jesus Christ okay. of a virus that we could have beaten a year and a half ago um, if we'd actually paid attention to it and put money toward it. Uh, you know, a, yeah. a friend of mine uh, stated a year and a half ago mm-hmm. that uh, somebody asked him as a mathematics guy, mm-hmm. you know, you, you know enough about the math that I, I think, you know, you, you can you can have an opinion on this. How long do you think it's going to take for us to beat this thing? Right. And he said, well, I'd say it'll take a month mm-hmm. from the time we start taking it seriously. Yeah. And he revisited that quote eight months after he said it. Mm-hmm. And said, I was right. We just haven't ever taken it sufficiently seriously Mm -hmm. so yeah it's kind of like when they talk about grief they say that you like let's say you suffer a massive breakup or a massive you know a a person very dear to you who dies they say you actually only cry for 24 hours it's just that nobody can cry for 24 hours straight so it's going to take you years to get that 24 hours of crying over that event out now I recognize that that is uh, what's the word not apocryphal, but like it's it's folk folk taleish, it's, yeah. it's old it's, wives yeah. taleish. But yeah. there's an intuitive sense to that, and it seems like yeah. yeah, it'll take us a month. Just we're stretching that month out and restarting it over and over and over again, over and over and over and over again. It's kind of like, and and yeah, gone. And, and there's a certain segment of our population who just refuses to take it seriously, like, at all, ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like how you're actually technically starving to death. It's just every time you eat something, you restart the clock. There you go. Boy, yeah. wow. That's going <laughs> to keep me awake at night. <laughs> so... Uh, okay, so back to his quote. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. the tabloid press are circulating the idea of concentration camps for persons with AIDS. The new riot police wear black visors, as do their horses, and their vans have rotating video cameras mounted on top. Now, breaking out, this was 1988. Breaking back in. The government has expressed a desire to eradicate homosexuality, even as an abstract concept, and one can only speculate as to which minority will be the next legislated against. I'm thinking of taking my family and getting out of this country soon. It's cold and it's mean-spirited and I don't like it here anymore. End quote. Uh, now, the thing is, with that quote, that sounds so much like me in the last year. Um, so, yeah. Right, yeah. Now, both men meant for their graphic novel to mean something. They both did mean for V from Data to mean something. And at the time, they were reacting to Thatcher and what she meant for the direction of their country. 
But now it's taken on a whole new meaning, which some purists will say is impossible, but I'm not one of them. Yeah, well, and and I want to I want to touch back on on Thatcherism. Oh, good, because I'm gonna real dive fast. in hard on her. Okay, yeah. because because remember that one of one of the first few episodes we did was mm-hmm. about Thatcherism, and and so I think it's worth touching again on what a remarkable reversal. Yes, Thatcher's whole fucking platform was. Mm-hmm from everything that had been part of the kind of kind of you know behind the scenes agreement the the unstated mm-hmm. political social contract yes between labor and the conservative party since world war 2 they called it the post war consensus for fuck's sake yes because it was well after the war and going on into infinity was mm-hmm. the assumption this is just how it's going to be like we're going to we're going to argue over the edges of privatization we're going to argue over yep. this that and the other thing the level of taxation this that and the other but nobody's going to fuck with the nhs right uh you know nobody's nobody's you know like labor unions nobody's going to mm-hmm. fuck with the institution of right labor unions it nobody's was like gonna... roads like we all agree that roads are a thing that we publicly maintain this is how you it know, works. Yeah. This is yeah. This is just the system, mm-hmm. you know. And and we're not you know uh, public housing, like like all of the all of the welfare state programs that have been put mm-hmm. in place after World War II, largely as a way to prevent communists from getting a foothold. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, Politically, it's like well, if we don't want people to just go you know full on fucking Marxist, we'd we'd better you know give some room and go somewhere toward socialist. Right. Like you know. The, the very idea of of the socialist welfare state was was just okay. This is how we're going to do things, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden Thatcher shows up with you know a Molotov cocktail in her hand, which is ironic, mm-hmm. you know, in that way. But like, is like, no, I'm going to set fire to this bitch. Well, I wouldn't say all of a sudden though. I would say as as you had pointed out in in I believe episode three of our podcast, uh, there was a long growing shift that was happening. Um, and yeah, in 1979, she does take power. The, the conservative party and Margaret Thatcher take power as a part of a larger and decided shift to the right from the welfare state that had been in place since the end of world war two, like you said, and they got elected to power in England. Um, and it's, it's largely characterized by a populist conservatism, economic and moral and this is part of a larger worldwide movement to the right in that same vein uh the technocracies had failed to put a halt to the economic downturns of the early 1970s uh they had failed to properly address the failures of 1968 not just uh, uh the united states with the tet offensive but also uh, the tanks coming into Czechoslovakia from, you know, from the USSR, the uh, election of uh, Charles de Gaulle, uh, the election of Richard Nixon. All of these were huge failures of the populist left to was, was actually get shit working. Was 68 the, the riots in Paris? Yeah. The, students and, picking up picking up cobblestones. Yeah. And the answer students, to those... Students, this is your vote. Yes. And the answer okay. to those riots was... De Gaulle is now in power. Like, they failed. 
Um, and because the populist left failed in 68, that led and and because the populist left uh, and and frankly, the technocratic left uh, failed in the 1970s to answer the the economic downturn. Populist rightists uh, came into power in 1979 through 1981 all over the globe. Most obviously Thatcher and Reagan. Um, okay. And, and it was a model born of libertarianism. Mm. And it was... All it, right. Yeah. Go on. Well, no, I'm just I'm just agreeing with your assertion ah. about model born of libertarianism. Yeah. I think their rhetoric was built around libertarianism. I don't know if the ideology was... Well, I think that libertarianism libertarian. tends toward individualism and it tends toward ultimately authoritarianism. I really do think libertarians, um, they want, and, and I'm painting with a very broad brush here, but historically I think this bears out, His, libertarians tend to want to be the dictator of their own realm. You don't get to tell me what to do in my sovereignty. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. And so, could, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they, they, you know, that boot stamping on a human face forever could be mine someday. So I better lick shine it. Um, and it was born of a strong authoritarian government that would stay out of business, uh, allow for privatization, weaken the unions and make it so that homosexuality, even though in England it had literally been legal since 1966, was also legislatively discouraged in terms of, quote, intentional promotion, end quote, of homosexuality. Right. So, you know, I mean, nowadays it's critical race theory. <laughs> now it, you know, <laughs> it's, you know, <clears throat> Satanism because of a mask, you know. Tell you what, tell me, tell me what that phrase means and I'll tell you whether or not I fucking teach it. <laughs> um, you, you tell, you tell me. Yeah, you. yeah. You using the buzzword. Yeah. Tell me what the fuck that is. Mm -hmm. Then I can tell you whether or not I teach it. Yeah. Oh, you don't know? Then fuck off. It also recaps Sonic a teacher. Sorry. That that's okay. Uh so uh this same wave also recasts Christianity into an imminently personal salvation based religion instead of a force <sighs> for social change. It it desecularized Christianity. Um, so that God coming back, the rapture was not eminent, it was imminent. Okay. And All he right. would pluck you out of this shithole um, and save you. Not that he was okay. waiting for you all to get it right. Okay. Um, okay. Which has led to this weird metastasization now of... Okay, well, if I can be really, really, really shitty, I can make the end times come around sooner, and then he'll pluck me out. It's like, bro, he's he's only plucking the good ones. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> like, I, you're okay. So, so the funny thing about this is, mm -hmm. we're we're an atheist and a Catholic. Yes, sitting across on opposite sides of a virtual table from each other, mm -hmm. talking about modern protestant theology yes which like ha 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 silly proddies like mm -hmm. you know we can both point and laugh from completely different directions well it's like one of my communist uh, friends says know. fucking liberals and all the conservatives in the room are like hell yeah fucking liberals and he's like oh yeah 
We're not the oh, same. Oh, oh. We agree oh, here. No. We're not the same. <laughs> We're not. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean an entirely different set of things than yeah. you do. Yeah. Like, don't don't be in a hurry to fucking the, agree with this me. This is the overlap, but this <laughs> like, is it. Like, that's, yeah. it's not even really an overlap. No. Like, it's an accidental like, overlap. It's, 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 it's an accidental, yeah, it's, it's a, a moment of, moment of, moment where the, where the sine waves line up right. for, for that split second before the frequencies wildly diverge. It's, it's like, that, no. have you ever seen those specious correlations? I love looking up specious correlations. Oh, so, like, yeah. the amount of, what was it, people who, uh, strangled themselves accidentally in bed with their own bed sheets lines up perfectly with the amount of Nicolas Cage movies made in a year or something like that. Like, oh, that's funny. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those there was, overlaps. There was one where, where somebody linked uh, global temperature to level of piracy. Oh, nice. See, that as actually... Piracy, as piracy has dropped off, uh-huh. global temperatures have gone up. So clearly we need more pirates. Oh, I like. I like. Yeah. I thought it was going to go the other way. Another one was yeah. like the amount of people getting sociology degrees in Maine and the amount of death by steam. Or something. <laughs> it's just like okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's that. Divorce but, rates in Delaware and like the price <laughs> of margarine in Wisconsin or some shit. Like it's just wild, wild yeah. you know, correlation. Yeah. So it's it's that. Yeah. So Yeah, but but I, I wanna I wanna I wanna pick on on the Protestant theology for a second here a little oh, bit. By all means. In in that <clears throat> the the particular what what I find interesting about it about this all of a sudden, you know, British conservatives now want to try to outlaw homosexuality. The thing is the brand of Protestant outlook, the the, the particular brand of judgy mm-hmm. bullshit that that became a central part of that that brand of political Christianity was an import to Britain from us. Yes, it is. It is like you can you can draw a line. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So easily from oh they want to integrate the schools. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, white evangelicals in the South don't want to let that happen, so we're gonna we're gonna have our religious schools. Okay, well, if we're gonna do that, then you know we need we need political leverage. You know, <laughs> we want what, public what, what, funding what, for this. So 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 what what other what other issues can we find that we can get sympathy on? Right. Oh hey, abortion. Oh hey, you know people people are creeped out by homosexuals. Oh hey, here we go. Mm-hmm. And then that getting exported back to Britain, mm-hmm. like like the brand of of we sent our Puritans back. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> like, didn't didn't y'all initially create circumstances that? forced them out because y'all didn't want to be that judgy like yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you, you you weren't willing to turn things into a religious state so they left and right. now they're back mm-hmm. and now you're like oh yeah yeah come on in uh, yeah yeah let's do it so it also helped that uh, in the 1970s this idea of looking strong especially as a former empire uh, meant military might, right? It also would mean reestablishing England as a major military player in a world that had not seen superpowers do very well in the prior decade. For instance, the United States just finished losing in Vietnam, and the USSR was on its way to a loss in Afghanistan, uh, which is really the perfect time 
to puff one's chest out and lead an eventual war against penguins in the South Atlantic. <laughs> you know, okay, here's the deal. I got to admit, I'm ambivalent about the Falklands crisis. It's a brave because, stance to take. A because, brave, because, brave, brave stance. Yeah, because because on the one hand, yeah, it's it's the last gasp of a of an irrelevant empire. Mm-hmm. So like, what the fuck? On the other hand, it was against the Argentinians, who were fucking Nazis. Yeah. Like. Yeah. So. Not wrong. Like you know. I don't mm-hmm. I, like like it's not it's not like I'm gonna root for the Argentinians because they're fucking Nazis, but on on the other hand, it's like I don't really know if I want to root for you either. Yeah, there is a layer. You know? Yeah, no, I get you. There's there's a layer of um, I'm rooting for injuries during this game. <laughs> that you know, I actually I actually said that uh, the other day because I'm going to date this sort of. Because we're recording this just a few days after Thanksgiving, uh, I, I actually said that in front of my in-laws uh, when the Detroit versus uh, not Detroit, sorry, the uh, Raiders versus Dallas game was playing. No, I thought it was, it like, was the Lions versus Dallas. Because the no, Lions, was, uh, Lions, Lions versus Chicago. Oh, you're right. Detroit, right. Detroit, yeah. Chicago. Yeah. And and I got reminded that in in my extended family we always root against Chicago because everybody's from St. Louis. Oh, okay. So, so my in-laws, that, that was easy for them, but I was like, well, okay, so it's the Raiders versus Dallas. I don't know who, like, I can't root for anybody and I kind of can't figure out who to root against. Right. So I rooted for injuries. So it's, I guess it's the same kind of thing. Like, okay, fine. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the setting. As a a military history buff though, I just do need to interject. I'm sorry. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Goose Green was the last time anybody performed a bayonet charge. Okay. Historically speaking. Okay. So a group of British, I want to say it was Royal Marines, Mm -hmm. uh, actually performed a bayonet charge against a group of Argentine troopers, uh, largely because they were running low on ammunition. And um, the funny thing about it is, of course, this is in a circumstance where everybody on the battlefield was literally carrying an automatic weapon. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the Brits were charging with bayonets mm-hmm. caused the Argentinians to break and run. It, yeah. That Just is... psychologically, mm-hmm. it was like, okay, they're that fucking crazy. Yeah. So anyway, sorry. No, it's fine. Okay. So this is the setting in which Alan Moore wrote V for Vendetta. Now, as a quick aside, I'm going to quote from V for Vendetta. Uh, let me see if I can find the page number. I cannot find the page number, but it's early on. Um, and, and V is putting on the mask, or he's, he's getting it ready. And it says, quote, um, this is him listening to the radio or the television. Uh, Mr. Carell went on to say that it is the duty of every man in this country to seize the initiative and make Britain great again. Okay. That was 1983. Okay, well, Make America Great Again yeah. had been a Reaganite mm-hmm. uh, slogan. Yes, when he was running primary against Ford, if I recall. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. 
So fun fact. Okay. In 1983, Thatcher's government failed to properly fund the NHS so that it could get its own supply of blood, and thousands of hemophiliacs got infected blood that had HIV and or hep C because they had to go on the open market, get the lowest bidder, and ended up with a supply of clotting factor 7, no, 8, that wasn't nearly regulated enough. Because capitalism is always better. Bullshit. Really? Dead? Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Wait. Yeah. Wait, sure. sure. Okay. All right. So now, in in the course of your research, were you able to figure out whether this was malicious unfunding or just? Ideologically, we don't care that much about the NHS, so like we we bungled this because we weren't paying attention. Which where isn't really does any the better. line shift? Because <laughs> and I, I ask you this honestly because we've seen for years cruelty is the point. Well, that's that's kind of that's kind of what I'm wondering. Have yeah. had we gotten at that point to cruelty is the point? I don't know. Nixon was doing well, shit like that with the war on drugs, so. I mean, you'd seen working models like that. Uh, Again, you'd fuck. seen, you know, the privatization in the ABC countries down in the South America. You'd seen it's it's not like the British were doing something original here. It's just that they're it's true. I don't I don't know. I, I genuinely As a first world country, they weren't supposed to be the ones making this kind of mistake. Yeah, you know. Mistake. Uh, kind yeah, of an air exactly. sort of an air quotes. You know, and, and so Jesus. The point at which uh, the cruelty and the stupidity are overlapping and interchangeable, I think we're seeing it right there. I don't yeah. think they were like deliberately trying to kill people, but I also don't think ideologically they could have pulled back and gone, oh, fuck, we really do need regulation. Um, they couldn't do that. So, so we're not quite at a circle yet, but the Venn diagram is approaching that. Yes. Yes. Okay. Now, again, in 1983, Fuck. yeah, this comic was initially very unpopular, but when it was published about five years later by DC, so in 80, 88, it picked up some steam. The basic plot is essentially that a fascist government called Norse Fire has taken over England in the shadow of a nuclear holocaust that missed England. Um, in the 1980s and 1970s, that was a actually a very real threat that people had lived through. Um, v himself is an anarchist, which sets the tale to be between the two extreme political philosophies, which is what Moore was trying to do. The story is that he essentially is an avatar for anarchism, a movement unto himself who seeks to push back against the fascism that has taken root in England in the late 1990s. He does it through terrorism and murder. He also tortures an underage sex worker into an existential crisis, which she comes out of stronger for having been tortured. Eventually, the story ends in the chaos that V's terrorism has caused, with the government devouring itself to close the book. Okay. Go. This may be mm -hmm. a segue, mm -hmm. but it strikes me in, in the way you summarize that. Mm-hmm that um, the the teenage sex worker, and I feel terrible that I don't remember the character's name. Evie. Evie, thank you. Mm -hmm. It strikes me that the story regarding Evie falls uncomfortably close to what happened to Barbara Gordon in The Killing Joke. <laughs> it's like he was trying it out. 
It's like, you know, like, you know. Well, it's like anytime you watch an Aaron Sorkin show, you're like, oh, I heard that on the West Wing already. Yeah, good point. You know? (laughs) Uh, Oh, hey, an argument for drug legalization. This must be Sorkin. Um, (laughs) You know. Oh, look, a liberal take on something that leftists did. Sorkin. Yeah, Sorkin. So, yeah, I'm just, like, it, it, it. I'm I'm a huge fan of of, of V for Vendetta, the the comic. Mm-hmm. Le- less so the movie, but we can get into that conversation later. Mm-hmm. And and I am also simultaneously deeply uncomfortable with the things that Alan Moore has done to women in his fiction. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Oh yeah, yeah. It's kind of kind of like as we've talked about my relationship to Tolkien and his subconscious racism. Like, yes. <sighs> okay. So it's anyway, well just, done. I, yeah, yeah. I, I had <laughs> While I'm sure it's so. well prepared, it doesn't taste good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I just had to have that aside because mm-hmm. that, that jumped out at me all of a sudden like, oh, hey, another circumstance of a female character being horribly tormented. Yes. Okay. Yeah, he does. Right. He I, does do I don't that. know if there's – um. Well, okay. I, I, I'm not going to say that there's not a misogyny there. There is. I think, though, that it could also be metaphoric to him, wherein what, you know, what's, what's the way to show? Do you remember watching Con Air? Yes. Okay. Do you remember Cole Meany's character? Vaguely. Okay. They did in one scene that was literally a two-second cut, showed us everything we needed to know about this character. He parked in a handicap spot in a sports car. And okay, right there out. you go. It's that. Yeah. So I wonder okay. if some of this is Alan Moore going, what's the quickest shorthand I can use to show okay. that this person is depraved beyond belief? He'll attack a woman. You know, it's in John Wick, they killed the dog. You know, it's that kind okay. of shit. Yeah. So, no, okay, that makes and sense. And at the same All time, right. though, he does keep putting women in torturous positions. So what you say, there is definitely meat on that bone. Okay. Yeah. But it's clear that the comic meant something to Alan Moore. He wrote it, and he struck at the power structure that was in place in Britain and has been virulently against in... uh, uh, He has been virulently against their overreach since writing his comics. Um, Now, at the time, he wrote it from the perspective of anarchist versus fascist and what that presented. At the time, uh, he was writing V for Vendetta, Uh, Thatcher was facing her first crisis, really. Her wave of popularity was waning, and she'd been in power a couple years, and there were riots in the places where they hadn't been in years. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, and there's some interesting parallels here with her and Reagan, so hang with me on this. Now, according to Moore, quote, there were fascist groups, the National Front, the British National Party, who were flexing their muscles and sort of trying to make political capital out of what were fairly depressed and jobless times. It seemed to me that with this kind of Reagan-Thatcher axis that existed across the Atlantic, it looked like Western society was taking somewhat a turn for the worse. Breaking out for just a second, the most British way to put it. Um, Very. Yeah. Yes. Breaking breaking out some more. Uh, you remember my Ace of Base episode. Oh, yeah. You start to see national fronts and ethnostatists uh, coming out in the 80s. All right, back back to this. Uh, Continued the quote. Uh, There were ugly fascist stains starting to reassert themselves that we might have thought had been eradicated back in the 30s. 
but they were reasserting themselves with a different spin. They were talking less about annihilating whichever minority they happened to find disfavor with and talking more about free market forces and market choice and all these other kinds of glib terms, which tended to have the same results as an awful lot of the kind of fascist causes back in the 1930s, but with a bit more spin put upon the friendly face of fascism. End quote. So that's what Moore is saying about when Thatcher got elected. Yeah. Now this, yeah. Well, the the one the one thing that occurs to me mm-hmm. is is again it comes back to part of my thesis on, in the Warhammer 40k episode. Uh huh. Is that for somebody who grew up under the post-war consensus, mm-hmm. the level of whiplash toward free market, unregulated, everything, privatizing stuff Mm -hmm. would look overtly far more fascist Mm -hmm. than it than than it would necessarily look to the individuals espousing the privatization, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, um, and and to somebody in a less socialized economy, like say the United States, it, it would look less like a a you know oh my God we're shifting to fascism because you know the Overton window was in a completely different position yes to start with and so the 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 rapidity of the, or the uh, not rapidity the extremity mm-hmm. of the shift. I, I think is part of the reason that this is the point where you see people in Britain starting to make comparisons to fascism mm-hmm. with Thatcher and Reagan. Whereas in the United States, we don't really start seeing people saying, uh, you know, Hey, this is, this is like fascist light until, you know, 98, 2000. Mm hmm. You know, with with you know W. Yeah. It it took it took a couple of administrations before people in the already farther right leaning mm-hmm. politics of the United States started making that comparison. Well, I think because in the United States, fascism didn't really look bad to most of the Americans until they started invading places, actually oh, invading yeah. them. Whereas yeah. in in Europe, fascism started looking bad a lot earlier than that. Well, so yeah. it wasn't until we invaded a sovereign country with very little pretense that people start going, "Hey, it's kind of fashy." Versus, mm-hmm. you know, like our threshold for fascism is much higher because we've got two oceans. Yeah. So now, in this was in 1981, and the fascination that the Britons had with bandits, with outlaws, dashing villains. It was much higher than across the pond over here. This combined with uh, Moore's desire to fast forward about a generation, which is frankly a standard writer's tool, and to see what would and could happen if Thatcherism was allowed to continue its logical march forward. Um, We've already seen similar sci-fi in the same era in England, like you said, the Warhammer 40K stuff. Mm-hmm. England seems to like its dashing villains much more than Americans do, too. And V for Vendetta was still very much a British phenomenon. 
Oh, very much. What's what's in, you talk about the the dashing mm-hmm. dashing bandit mm-hmm. that goes back to the Regency period mm-hmm. when there was a rash of highway robbery, mm-hmm. like as an as an actual thing, mm-hmm. and the popular media at the time was filled with stories of dashing highwaymen uh, who were in, in a couple of notable cases, they, they were former footmen mm-hmm. to country gentlemen who, you know, had the airs and the characteristics of a noble. Right. While they were engaging in violent criminal activity. And the legitimacy of the government behind them. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, this, yeah. The noblemen had that and therefore oh, the, by the extension no, yeah, their the, agents the, the, did too. Yeah. Well, the, so the, long as the, they were agents of the nobles. Well, part of part of the appeal of the stories to the to the to the groundlings mm-hmm. was that they were robbing the nobles. Yes, it was the people with the money that they were targeting, and so so that made them the heroes of the people. Yes, which which like you know um, at the time, uh, authority was like outraged by the fact that these figures were being turned into popular heroes. Right. So yeah, and yeah. the British so, so British seem to like that quite a bit. Here's a quote from yeah. from Moore. He said, "Quote: So it all evolved from different sources, from several different sources, but it was playing into the fact that over here in England we've got quite a good tradition of villains and sociopaths as heroes, like Robin Hood, Guy Fawkes, and all the rest of them. And in our fiction, in British children's comics, there were probably as many sociopathic villains who'd got their own comic strips as there were heroes." Possibly more. The British have always had sympathy with a dashing villain. Yep. And Moore's political thinking led to his art being the way it was. Quote, as far as I'm concerned, the two poles of politics were not left wing or right wing. In fact, they're just two ways of ordering an industrial society and we're moving, we're fast moving beyond the industrial societies of the 19th and 20th centuries. It seemed to me the more absolute extremes were anarchy and fascism, end quote. And in so doing, Moore kind of both sides it there. Well, he did. Yeah. I mean, he solidly did. Because the thing is, Evie and V are both unreliable narrators. Yes. And to the extent that the story of V for Vendetta is viewed through Evie's eyes... That makes it suspect. Yeah. At least the first half of it is. Oh, yeah. So. And and so he was he 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 was trying to both sides it. I think the thing is if you don't read it with enough detail, mm-hmm. the both sides in gets lost. Yeah. Well, and he even said as much. He said, quote, What I was trying to do was to take these two extremes of the human political spectrum and set them against each other in a kind of little moral drama, just to see what works and what happened. I tried to be as fair about it as possible. I mean, yes, politically I'm an anarchist. At the same time, I didn't want to stick out, or I didn't want to... I didn't want to stick to just moral blacks and whites. I wanted a number of the fascists I portrayed to be the real, to be real rounded characters. They've got reasons for doing what they do. They're not necessarily cartoon Nazis. 
and so that's that's him trying to have integrity as an artist, but also admitting his his left leanings and it's biased. Yeah, and and frankly, here's where he and I disagree. Um, he saw fascism creeping in and thought, yeah, but what about if we make people afraid of anarchists instead of just talking bad about fascists? I see it as creeping in, and I think, hey, let's worry about everything else later. The bacteria count for fascism is way too high to ignore. Time for antibiotics. Or better yet, the virus has taken a hold. Let's worry about some other things later. Let's 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 just get everybody vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah. Not to, you know, drop an anvil on anything there. Right. Or you anything. Know. You know, I, I think there's a very comfortable middle class anarchist vibe involved in him wanting to do that thought experiment mm-hmm. thing that he's talking about. Yes. And I you know, and the thing is as much as he says that, mm-hmm. I think I, 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 you know, he he admits to I tried to be as fair as I could, mm-hmm. which number one, like I'm with you, fascists don't deserve being fair, like, right, right off the bat. But but even even at the level at which he approached that, I think he can be criticized. Because the thing is, even in the comics, and we can talk about the film later, and the film fucked everything up, in my opinion. But but even in the comics, V is way cooler than any of the, any of the fascists, like by leaps and bounds. He is, but he doesn't get nearly as much panel time. Um, he is clearly a force for chaos. Okay. All right. Um, where you know, say what you will about Norse fire and the fascists, at least they were orderly. Yes. Yeah. And and the I'm trying to remember the detective's name. Prothro. Who's, who's Prothro? Prothro is a wonderful study of a workaday cog in a fascist machine, and yes. like he's not he's not even ideologically right. A fascist, like he he looks at he looks at the hardcore members of the party, and you can tell he's kind of like whatever you're crazy. Yep. You know, he he has a job to do. He's a police detective. He wants to get to the bottom of things. That's like his. Yeah, he his doesn't thing. have time for your politics. He's busy solving murders. Yeah. Yeah. And you know. Yeah. And and so he's been co-opted by the party. Mm-hmm. By that, and the thing is. It's a brilliant, it's, it's a absolutely, I, I wish, mm-hmm. I absolutely wish the one flaw, like major flaw that I have with the way or that I find in the way that uh, Moore wrote things was I really wish there had been more of a moment for Prothero to look at who he was working for. Yeah, but he's not interested. And in have a, well... He's not. I, That's I not his I, character. I, I understand, but I wish there. I wish he had been forced to. You want an Ahab it, moment for I, for I want, Yeah, yeah. I, I want. I want that, and I because like you, mm-hmm. I don't think it's a good idea to be fair to fucking fascists. Right. You know what I mean. And and so like on an artistic integrity level, I totally get 
why Prothero was the character he was and, and like, it's amazingly well done, Mm -hmm. but you know, like the analogy you were talking about, this meal is really well cooked, but it doesn't taste good. Right. You know? Yeah. So now interestingly, now I'm going to spend the first half of this on the comic and then I'll switch over to the movie because they're different things. Um, Now, interestingly though, he did object to uh, strongly to the defanging of fascists in the movie version. Because okay. uh, the the movie version of Norse Fire went in hard against the queer community in, in a couple of montages, but yeah. it was hardly at all about race. And there is a nod toward Islam, too, but it's nothing about race. Now, you could point out, well, what was that beep? That was cool. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that was, but... I don't know. So you uh, listeners, if you know what that was, that was really neat. It was uniform and sound. It was cool. Anyway, uh, so in the movie, like during the uh, the montage scene, yes, half the people or more that are gathered up by Creedy's black baggers are people of color, but it's because they're queer, not because they're brown specifically. Like it keeps getting pointed because it's it's same sex partners. Um, right, right. Yeah. Now he didn't like them doing that in the movie because they were ignoring the racial stuff. And he said, look, the racial purity is the tentpole of fascism. Um, And I'm going to come back to that later. Uh, So while he's very willing to both sides at the extremes, he never actually horseshoes his logic, which I appreciate. And he also still sees fascism as a very viable threat. And he mentions it by name in his comic. For instance, Adam Susan, which... The name was Adam Susan in the comics. It's Adam Sutler later on, and we'll get into stunt casting that that is. Uh, he says, and I'm just going to read these quotes f- from the uh, the panels for you. I am Adam Susan, the leader. I am the leader, leader of the lost, ruler of the ruins. I am a man like any other man. I lead the country that I love out of the wilderness of the 20th century. I believe in survival. I believe in the destiny of the Nordic race. I believe in fascism. Oh, yes, I am a fascist. What of it? Fascism, a word, a word whose meaning has been lost in the ble- in the bleatings of the weak and the treacherous. The Romans invented fascism. A bundle of t- uh, bound twigs was a symbol. One twig could be broken. A bundle would be prevail would prevail. Fascism, strength in unity. I believe in strength. I believe in unity. And if that strength, that unity of purpose demands a uniformity of thought, word and deed, then so be it. I will not hear talk of freedom. I will not hear the talk of individual liberty. They are luxuries. I do not believe in luxuries. The war put an the poor the war put paid to luxury. The war put paid to freedom. So that's him just walking in. Like he's walking into the Bailey building through a series of Nazi salutes, by the way. Um that's that's Susan walking to work. Yes. Now, mm-hmm. I want to point out. Sure. And I think I, I, I genuinely think more knowingly did this. Mm-hmm. What he's talking about, about the bundle of sticks mm-hmm. is utterly ahistorical because that wasn't the point of bundling the sticks together. 
when the Romans when the Romans bundled the canes together it was to make them easier to carry. <laughs> <laughs> There's <laughs> so they could be distributed. Like I, I don't I don't I don't recall. And of course you're you're the you know yeah. Latin instructor, so you'd be able to you know answer this better for me. Sure. I don't I don't remember anywhere where within Roman uh, political symbolism, mm-hmm. the idea of the bundle of sticks being anything other than no, no, we're going to hand these sticks out to you all to go beat people because you're the justiciers. So there, there's like, there's some stuff going on there actually that that at least uh, puts the bundle of sticks uh, mythos uh, in in a more favorable light as far as ver- veracity goes. One. Um, Romulus borrowed the Etruscan uh, tradition of having 12 lictors. Yes. Uh, and each lictor was represented by a stick. They each brought oh. their stick, gave it to him, boom. Two, uh, Romulus and Remus, when they killed their great uncle, Numitor, no, Amulius, to reinstate their grandfather, Numitor, to power, they walked amongst the people hidden in their intention um, and concealed within with them a hatchet. And then they got near him and they hatcheted his ass to death. Um, and so there were about a dozen of them because Romulus had a group. Um, there were a dozen of them or so and they had the hatchet. So that's where that little axe in the, yeah, in the thing. comes in in the, so, in the center of the bundle. So there are a couple of aspects that go there. Now, would there also be a practical aspect of like, yeah, hand out these canes? Yes, but the Roman pomp and circumstance was such a practical and and realistic thing that I could see that being so, but also it would have been a feedback loop to what else okay. was, was going on. Okay. So fair enough. Now, I, I again, you know, more he talks about fascism there. I honestly, I I think I might prefer my anti-fascist polemics to be more polemic. Um, <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was frankly disappointed by his efforts, and they missed me completely. To be honest, I saw fascism as the big bad evil guy, um, and therefore anybody seeking to disrupt that was automatically an ally uh, regardless of the methods they used. We can deal with this shit later, right? Because in terrorizing a population, he's terrorizing a population that has become complicit in the disappearance and the violence toward large swaths of that population. So I don't think okay. Moore did enough, uh, honestly, in his uh, in his graphic novel. So, um, yeah. Okay. We have also had the conversation that mm-hmm. the first country the Nazis invaded was Germany. Yes. And the first city they invaded was Berlin. Yes. Yeah. So how do you jibe mm-hmm. what you just said mm-hmm. with that sentiment? What, that the... The, the... the first country the Nazis invaded was mm-hmm. Germany. Right. How does that jive with the idea that he didn't, he, you know, the people he's terrorizing are complicit? Like, where, where is the? I think you get I, might, what I mean, I, yeah, I think I come back to what uh, that book by Meyer. They thought they were free. 
So there's a quote from uh, Meyer's book. Uh, he interviewed uh, basically, I think, a dozen or ten people who lived through Nazi Germany at the time um, and uh, of the war, and he asked them uh, a number of questions. Uh, one of which was basically, so what was the point of no return? When did when did when was the country lost essentially to the Nazis? And here's one person whose answer was says. Um, I was employed in a, in a defense plant, a war plant, of course, but they were always called defense plants. That was the year of the national defense law, the law of, quote, total conscription. Under the law, I was required to take an oath of fidelity. I said I would not. I opposed it in conscience. I was given 24 hours to think it over. In those 24 hours, I lost the world. And, and just point out like so here's here's in answer to your question what would i've said of the normal people i think that people like this existed at that time um and and they still went along for a number of reasons he says you see refusal would have meant the loss of my job of course not prison or anything like that later on the penalty was worse but this was only 1935 but losing my job would have meant that i could not get another Wherever I went, I should be asked why I left the job I had, and when I say why, I should certainly have been refused employment. No one would hire a Bolshevik. Of course, I was not a Bolshevik, but you understand what I mean. I tried not to think of myself or my family. We might have got out of the country in any case, and I could see our, and I could have got a job in industry or education somewhere else. What I tried to think of was the people to whom I might be of some help later on, or if things got worse, as I believe they would. I had a wide friendship in a scientific and academic circles, including many Jews and, quote, Aryans, too, who might be in trouble. If I took the oath and held my job, I might be of help, somehow, as these things went on. If I refused to take the oath, I would certainly be useless to my friends, even if I remained in the country. I myself would be in their situation. The next day after thinking it over, I said I would take the oath with the mental reservation that by, that by the words which with, with which the oath began, ich schwore by Gott, I swear by God, I understood that no human being and no government had the right to override my conscience. My mental reservations did not interest the official who administered the oath. He said, do you take the oath? And I took it. That day the world was lost, and it was I who lost it. First of all, there is the problem of the lesser evil. Taking the oath was not so evil as being unable to help my friends later on uh, would have been. Or it was not, not so evil as being unable to help my friends later on would have been. But the evil of the oath was certain and immediate, and the helping of my friends was in the future and therefore uncertain. I had to commit a positive evil there and then in the hope of a positive good of a possible good later on. The good outweighed the evil, but the good was only a hope and the evil a fact. The hope might not have been realized either for reasons beyond my control or because I became afraid later on, or even because I was afraid. Uh, all the time and was simply fooling myself when I took the oath in the first, in the first place. Um, there I was 1935, a perfect example of the kind of person who with all his advantages in birth and education and in position rules or might easily rule in any country. 
My education did not help me, and I had a broader view, or I had a broader and better education than most have had or ha- will have ever had. All it did in the end was it to enable me to rationalize my failure of faith more easily than I might have done if I had been ignorant. And so it was, I think, among educated men generally in that time in Germany. Their resistance was no greater than other men's. So I think you come back to the question of, you know, where do I fall on your prothros, your people who are just part of a system, and they certainly, you know, they didn't bring the system about. This this man is taking responsibility for that, and he realizes what a cog he is and what his complicity is. Mm-hmm. And and I think uh, in terms of art, in terms of a, what do you call that thing, uh, a graphic novel, in terms of that, I do think that... Uh, you know, you you can say, you know what? These people are complicit in a system that absolutely has done that. Okay. You know, John Brown attacking okay. Harper's Ferry would be a good example. And, you know, we can always come up with really cool black and white examples of badasses mm. who did this. But we both also know how complex the system is. We both got mortgages to pay, you know. And I understand yeah. that, too. But at the same time... Within art... Within art, there's 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 a freedom to to be more more partisan. Yes, Maybe but not, I, I would also say is the right word. No, but I I would also say that um, this is going to maybe sound weird. When nine eleven happened, I certainly wasn't happy that it happened, but I understood. Mm-hmm. You know, and and when when I read about Dresden, like that's fucking awful. But clearly they're not going to give up. Yeah. So try that too. And it's why I still come to loggerheads with myself about Hiroshima, less so Nagasaki, but about Hiroshima because, you know, there was, yeah, there were plenty of indications looking back, but I got to look at who knew what when they knew it, not just their motivations Mm -hmm. for how they could get around it. Yeah. Did Truman cook the books for himself? Yeah, I think he absolutely did. But a whole bunch of people under him who were giving him advice and giving it, you know, and, and so on and so forth, they were looking at a problem from a very specific point of view and they gave mm-hmm. him the advice that they could. And I, I do think that, you know, I come down to just because it's justified doesn't make it right. Yeah. And just because it's right doesn't mean you can justify it. Yeah. And so I come back okay. to that. Like, I think civilians are a legitimate target when those civilians are working in the war industries and you're trying to stop a total war population. I think that is a valid target. I think it fucking sucks and it's evil. And, you know, <laughs> at the yeah. same time, no, at, the, if, at the same time, yeah, if they're complicit yeah. in a system that's getting marginalized peoples destroyed, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm not going to bite my nails too hard about like, well, now it's happened to you guys, you know? So again, I don't, I certainly didn't cheer the buildings falling or anything like that. Um, and at the same time, I, I think that I, I, I can understand the grievance that brought that about. So yeah, I think, I think reading a comic book where there's an anarchist who's bringing all the chaos in the world and terrorizing an entire civilization or an entire population that population, which is complicit in the disappearance of ethnic minorities and marginalized peoples, 
and and thereby violence toward those people's organized violence. Yeah, I'm okay with a little chaotic violence against those people. Systematic organized yeah. violence. Yeah. yeah. So okay. here's here's another quote by by Mr. Moore. He says, and the central question is, is this guy right or is he mad? What do you, the reader, think about this? Which struck me as a properly anarchist solution. I didn't want to tell the people what to think. I just wanted to tell the people to think and consider some of these admittedly extreme little elements, which nevertheless do recur fairly regularly throughout human history. I was very pleased with how it came together, and it was a book that was very, very close to my heart. There's a certain level of armchair anarchist. I think so. I think flavor. So. He he has the there. ability to leave. Yeah. Yeah. He can he can he, he can, can opt out. Walk away. Yeah. yeah. Which frankly and, you and I can too. I mean Yeah, well, yeah, I'm, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean that's I I don't know how how conscious of his ability to walk away more is. Yeah. Like I'm 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 not sure what level of self reflection he has there. Like if, if you or I were saying this, there would be a caveat attached to it of like, and I totally recognize my privilege in approaching this this way. And that's not there with right. more. Right. And you know, he is of a certain generation mm-hmm. from a certain demographic. Mm-hmm. And and part of me kind of wants to interrogate him harder about that. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I say this as somebody who absolutely like loves the graphic novel mm-hmm. as a work of art, but, but yeah. So here, I'm going to give a little bit more background of what's going on at the time of the writing. And then I'll, I'll, I'll stop shortly thereafter. Um, so, all of this terror that V is committing, all uh, from blowing up buildings to assassinating key party members, is in the backdrop of the troubles. Oh, shit. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah, it's the fight in Ireland to get the British out of Northern Ireland. Yeah, yeah. that's all there. The problem was not everyone wanted them out either. And it was an ethno-religious struggle, which had a lot to do with identity in Ireland. Uh, and the long-time oppression by the British on Ireland. Now, I'm painting with a really broad brush to save a lot of time here, mm. but essentially, that's what's going on. And here's some examples. The IRA set off a bomb that killed a famous admiral and a relative of the royal family, Lord Mountbatten, in 1979. And 18 British paratroopers were killed by remote detonated bombs on that same day. Yep. In 1981, you get the Irish hunger strikes which took 10 Irish prisoners. Bobby Sands was the first to die. They received aid afterwards from Libya, Mm. who who frankly was pissed that Thatcher helped Reagan bomb his country. Uh, Gaddafi was, which, again, I understand, (laughs) you know? Um, Also, speaking of Reagan, he'd gotten shot by John Hinckley in 81 in an attempt to impress Jodie Foster because Hinckley had seen Foster perform in Taxi Driver a few years prior and was obsessed with her as a 13-year-old turned 17-year-old college student. Mm. There's, yeah, so, so much. 
Yeah. Well, here's a quote from him. Uh, Over the past seven months, I've left you dozens of poems, letters, and love messages in the faint hope that you could develop an interest in me. Although we talked on the phone a couple of times, I never had the nerve to simply approach you and introduce myself. The reason I'm going ahead with this attempt now is because I cannot wait any longer to impress you. Now, when our would-be assassins try to kill someone, they're creepy as fuck about it. When the Irish do it, there's a political reason. Uh, So, soon after his trial, Hinckley wrote that the shooting was, quote, the greatest love offering in the history of the world. And he was disappointed that Foster didn't reciprocate his love. Jesus. That's very American. Whereas the Irish are like, get the fuck out. You know, get to get the fuck out of our country. Yeah, you know, there's there's one one of my uh, a friend of mine who is Irish American has one of his favorite stories about the IRA from roughly this period mm-hmm. is one of the things they did. Uh, they wound up driving a I don't know if panel truck is the right word, but they they had a a, a delivery truck essentially yeah. with a with a tarp over the top of it that they drove to whatever distance away from uh, Parliament, mm-hmm. uh, whipped the tarp off the top of the truck and fired a series of mortars mm. from the truck onto the roof of Parliament. Wow. And every single one of the mortars had been intentionally disarmed. Just showing we can do it. And, the, and yes, and, the, and yeah, and they did the same thing at Heathrow. Wow. And, and the message was, we could have done this. Yeah. We chose not to. Yeah. Get the fuck out of Ireland. <laughs> and like. Yeah. You know, like. But, you know, uh, we, we got like, John Hinckley trying to impress Jodie Foster because yeah, he saw her when so, she was 13. Um, well, you know. Yeah. Yeah. America. Yeah. Now, incidentally, Reagan got hit by sheer dumb luck. Because Hinckley would have missed entirely, but for a Secret Service agent's perfect timing in rushing Reagan into the limo. Because of his tremendous speed and assiduousness, the only bullet that had a chance of hitting Reagan actually hit Reagan. Because it bounced off the limo door and tore into the president's chest. Which I means had that, forgotten he was hit by a ricochet. Yeah, which means that Reagan would have been fine if the Secret Service had not done their job. Pardon me for a moment. That baked my noodle. <laughs> I completely forgot about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, so, everybody did their job perfectly, and that's why the president was wounded. Yeah, and and here's where it gets worse. That's why the president got a second term, I think, because Reagan got a lot of sympathy, turned around people's dislike of him, charmed the shit out of everyone in the hospital, and basically locked in his second term alongside his tougher new image. Look, I'm the one that withstood the bullet. Yeah. So in August, when he enforced a law that nobody thought he would against the air traffic controlling controllers in their strike, everyone was on board or willing to look the other way because he'd survived being shot and was charming. I I, I can't totally discount what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Because his I, popularity was dropping hard at that point, because he wasn't oh yeah, able time, to deliver. Was, yeah, no. By the time yeah. he was shot, yeah, no, that's entirely so if, true. So if he didn't get shot, if the Secret Service hadn't done his job, and then he tried to break the strike, 
What political capital could he have spent to hold off people's disdain? Here's the deal. Mm-hmm. I'm going I'm going to push back on that. Okay. I think I think that part of what got him elected in the first place was mm-hmm. an attitude at the time that against organized labor and mm-hmm. turning against especially government employees because of the 70s. I think that there was obviously think, support. For, there There was a groundswell of that, but for him to be able to be so brazen about it, I don't think you've got that with him not being, I hope, I hope one of you is, I hope you're all Republicans and honey, I forgot to duck. I think that folksy right. charm really helped take the piss. Out. It's kind of like when the, the students were silently protesting him uh, and he was, I believe on the campus of UC, wasn't Berkeley, it was UCLA. He's walking down the, the, uh, is this as governor? Yeah. He's walking down the uh, walkways as governor and all the students are there with their hands over their mouths, you know, because he's trying to silence them and he's walking and it's total silence. It's very awkward. And then he turns around right before he, he closes the door. He turns back to them and goes, shh. And I mean, it just took the piss out of everything they were doing. And he was really good at that. He was, he was again, that great communicator kind of shit. He was really good at charming people and taking just enough of the piss out that he could get away with his other fuckery. Okay. Yeah. All right. I see no. what you're saying. I yeah. I think he possibly because of the groundswell of mm-hmm. right leaning stuff and everybody being frustrated with with government and everything mm-hmm. because of the seventies, I think he still could have gotten away with what he did. I don't know that I don't know I don't know if he would have been able to carry over into a second term. Right. But I think he still could have broken the the controller strike. Hmm. It is a we'll never know kind of thing. Yeah. I just yeah. sadly. Yeah. You know, in in 1982, uh, the discotheque bombing at the drop and well killed 11 British soldiers and six civilians. Mm. And in 1984, Margaret Thatcher herself escaped an assassination attempt by sheer right? dumb luck. The next yep. day, she was a goddamn badass and spoke as scheduled, defying the IRA to try her again. This made her wildly popular after facing a lot of trouble, and halfway through a coal miner strike, she got a lot of support due to her response. And she wound up breaking that coal miner strike uh-huh. too. So this the is the parallels. Backdrop. Yeah, the parallels are eerie. Yeah, and this is the backdrop of the scary fucking violence that these right wing libertarian branded populist crypto fascists end up gaining popular support with, and therefore more power. <laughs> Could you be a little bit more, a little bit more specific about your characterization of their leanings? <laughs> So, also in V for <laughs> Libertarian Vendetta. populist yeah. crypto fascists. Okay. Yeah, libertarian branded. Right, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Uh, in V for Vendetta, they're already in charge, and their popularity isn't any longer a question as they've got all the authority. And this is what Moore's kind of pointing out. The comic book has an excellent answer to this, really. Uh, v has a fireside chat of sorts on the national news channel, which cannot get shut off because fascism. Um, and in it, he says the following <laughs> things. Okay, if I can't shut it off, I'll just hijack it. Right. 
And so here's what he says. He says, quote, and it's no good blaming the drop in work standard upon bad management either, though to be sure the management is very bad. In fact, let us not mince words. The management is terrible. We've had a string of embezzlers, frauds, liars, and lunatics making a string of catastrophic decisions. This is plain fact. But who elected them? It was you. You who appointed these people, you who gave them the power to make your decisions for you. While I'll admit that anyone can make a mistake once, to go on making the same lethal errors century after century seems to me nothing short of deliberate. You have encouraged these malicious incompetents who have made your working life a shambles. You have accepted without question their senseless orders. You have allowed them to fill your workspace with dangerous and unproven machines. You could have stopped them. All you had to do was say no. You have no spine. You have no pride. You are no longer an asset to the company. So it goes back to that Meyer quote too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Alan Moore is pissed at England for electing Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> you think? And he's pissed at them for ushering in the first steps toward totalitarianism. And here is his strongest case against them. He does not both sides it here. He calls it out. If you remember from the beginning, quote, naivete can also be detected in my supposition that it would take something as melodramatic as a near-miss nuclear conflict to nudge England toward fascism. It's 1988 now. Margaret Thatcher is entering her third term of office and talking confidently of an unbroken conservative leadership well into the next century. The tabloid press are circulating the idea of concentration camps for persons with AIDS. The new riot police wear black visors, as do their horses, and their vans have rotating video cameras mounted on top. The government has expressed a desire to eradicate homosexuality, even as an abstract concept, and one can only speculate as to which minority will be the next legislated against. I'm thinking of taking my family and getting out of this country soon. It's cold and it's mean-spirited, and I don't like it here anymore. That's the same quote as from before, but I think it's worthy of repeating because he said as much half a decade earlier in his book. Yeah. So the sex worker, by the way, got to come back to her, that uh, V tortures into an existential crisis, one which ultimately frees her to choose freedom. That's all the metaphor for what anarchism has to do to England to thoroughly purge itself of fascism. Anything else would be inauthentic and allow it to creep back in. And yet again, in a more polite, smartly dressed tone, like Margaret Thatcher um, or someone else with a nice suit and tie and an easy smile who lets you think that others are the problem. No, the only solution is anguishing and abandonment and despairing and authentic choice. The British electorate must suffer and must make the choice for themselves and must realize that both things come with pain. And only then can they truly, truly choose what's best for them. And with that opportunity comes a huge risk, but at least it won't be a momentum of inertia uh, or a momentum or inertia. Now, having said that, he obviously also likes to torture young women in his books. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's. That's essentially the plot of the there's, comic. There's there's a certain level of revenge fantasy there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is. And it comes back to the quotes that uh, V had said. It's on you. You done fucked up, son. Yeah. And you're going to have to pay for this. Um, Yeah. So that's the plot of the comic book. In the 80s, it was clearly overblown. Except that looking back, it wasn't. 
there were some painful choices that England didn't make. And as such, a lot of people died. A lot of people lost their rights. Uh, and when the Labour Party took back over in 1997, it's nearly a generation of conservatism, it was led by Tony Blair, the British version of Bill Clinton. And again, the mm-hmm. parallels across to the pond are stunning. It's as though it's more than just a localized phenomenon. Regardless, both the Democrats in the U.S. and the Labour Party in the U.K. were a far more conservative version of themselves than they'd been prior to the Reagan and Thatcher eras. Well, because in mm-hmm. order to maintain political viability, they had to try to take the middle out from under the right. Right. Which, which number one, compromised their position in the first place. Mm-hmm. And second of all, in order to then have a platform mm-hmm. to differentiate themselves, mm-hmm. the conservatives and the Republican Party in the United States shifted farther to the right. Yes. You know, it, it would be it would be really interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of a better word than that, but that's the one that comes to mind right now. To be able to go back in time right now. Mm-hmm to Bill Clinton's first term in office and show him video, Mm -hmm. show him and and all of his conciliaries and everybody around him, show them video of the last 18 months Mm -hmm. in our country and say, okay, so here's the deal. You got two choices. You can uh, do Everything I know you are planning on doing, because I'm a historian from the future, and and you can do everything you're going to do, and this is the future you're going to create. Or, and I don't know what's going to happen here if you do this, or you can, instead of trying to go to the center and pull the center out from under the Republican Party and, you know, go with all your super predator language and... And, you know, uh, uh, welfare reform and everything. Instead of doing that, you can double down mm-hmm. on on what got you elected in the first place. And you can uh, send a message to the American people that, no, 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 I meant what I fucking said. And you can actually try to sell that. Instead of giving up, like, and, and this is me talking as, no shit, a moderate, like as somebody who, who lives militantly in the middle, mm-hmm. like I am a, I am a third way, I'm, I'm a social Democrat mm-hmm. or, uh, yeah, like, okay, look, <laughs> you can, you, you can, you can try to steal the middle out from other Republicans and I can guarantee you you'll win or you can actually stick to a fucking principle for once mm-hmm. and, and actually like sell that to people. Oh, I don't think they would have gone for option B. I really don't. Yeah. See no, if this, probably right, see if this, like, see if this sounds like anyone we grew up under quote, Critics and admirers tend to agree that Blair's electoral success was based on his ability to occupy the center ground and appeal to voters across the political spectrum to the extent that he has been fundamentally at odds with traditional Labour Party values. Some left-wing critics argued that Blair oversaw the final stage of a long-term shift of the Labour Party to the right. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. That's, that's Billy Boy. Yeah. Like. Now, I would point out, though, that... 
both Blair and Clinton were very young in the 70s compared to, you know, 20 years later. Um, And their formative years, they saw a ton of meeting in the middle from the left and the right. They saw a lot of people on the right voting for left policies because it helped their constituents and people from the left voting on right policies because it helped their constituents. Um, I, they saw that they saw people agreeing that, well, yeah, of course unions are a thing. Yeah, of course we're all freedmen people, you know, of course we're all, uh, Keynesians. I mean, Nixon said that shit. Yeah. Um, they saw that happen. So it's not unrealistic to think we could just get back to that. The problem well, is they 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 saw that practice and not the reality necessarily, which but again, how do you check for the weather report when you're in the middle of a goddamn storm? I agree with I I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. I think the contract with America should have been a gigantic fucking red flag. Yeah, it should have. Should have been like like the moment Newt fucking Gingrich. I, like just look at who Newt Gingrich fucking was. Like just analyze the character of that man. Mm-hmm. And and legitimately look at that and then and then think, is this motherfucker actually interested in any kind of compromise fucking at all? Is anybody well, I on think the right that- I think that like, they thought that you could beat that with meeting people in the middle and showing that there's still a reasonable way to go. Because I mean, right. we've seen that in just about every election, uh, with the exception of Obama's first. All right. So now England yeah. did not despair. England did not anguish. And England did not truly suffer any sense of abandonment uh, through the election of Tony Blair. They shifted to the left, um, and I'm sorry, to the right. Um, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. what? And the center had shifted, and a new paradigm, one that takes those marginalized for granted and ignores their needs, arose, because who else are you going to vote for? Um, Moore's writings seemed overblown because society ignored the temperature in the room that it was rising until it adapted to a new heat. But Moore really wished that they did suffer, that they did despair, that they did anguish, and that they did feel abandonment. Um, And there's this wonderful part in the comic where uh, Prothero takes acid and goes to the camps. Yep. And every person in that camp is a brown person because Mm -hmm. to Moore, this is ethnostate shit. Um, and uh, he very much uh, is apologetic to them and, you know, very, very sorry. Weeps. Yes. And that is... Yeah, I mean, he has a breakdown. That is it's, more... It's an amazing moment. That is more wishing that England did that. And then after V dies, there's an awful lot of anarchy that happens. And that's more wishing that they suffered that mm-hmm. as well. So England prevails. So that's where I'm going to leave it because okay. next time I'm going to talk about the movie. Yeah. Um, so uh, besides reading V for Vendetta, is there anything you want people to go give it a look at? Um, I'm actually going to recommend, mm-hmm. well, number one, read V for Vendetta. 
Um, number two, um, in in thinking about empire, mm-hmm. and in thinking about the the mentality of Britain and and the historical context that led to all of this, mm-hmm. um, I'm actually going to recommend. Um, I'm going to recommend everybody read Kipling. Oh, okay. Um, because because everything everything in the British oeuvre, uh, everything in the British subconscious since World War II is responding to we used to be an empire and now we're not. Mm-hmm. And I think reading Kipling any of his stories about India is a really great window into what their mentality was before then. Oh, I like it. And I think that's, that's an important context for anybody, for anybody to, um, to, to really comprehend Mm -hmm. the, the British take on anything in the modern era. You need to understand what the mentality of the British empire was. Okay. I like it. So that that would be my recommendation. All right. I'm going to recommend that people find an essay called The Long Revolution by Raymond Williams. It's been a while since I've read it, so I'm going to dust it off again. Uh, But I think in light of what we've talked about these last three or four weeks, um, it it would behoove you to read The Long Revolution by Raymond Williams. Kind of just, and I, I think it's a bit out of date, um, considering what we've just been through collectively, but I still think that it's, uh, it's worthy of, of a look, um, just as a response to failing empire and a, a response to, uh, a shifting, uh, to the right of things. So, okay. Uh, where can people find you on the socials? I can be found on Instagram and on, uh, Twitter. As E.H. Blaylock, and I can be found on TikTok as Mr. Blaylock. Where can you be found, sir? Uh, you can find me uh, on twitch.tv forward slash capital puns the first Tuesday of every month. Uh, you can find me doing live comedy, uh, but you can also find me on Duh Harmony on Twitter and Instagram, and you will uh, find advertisements there for those things. Um, but if you're in the Sacramento area, we will be doing shows on January 14th, February 4th, March 4th, and April, I want to say 7th. It's the first Friday of each month after January 14th. Uh, so that's where you can find me. Um, so, uh, collectively, if they want to find us, where shall they look? Uh, they can find us at geekhistoryoftime.com mm-hmm. and at geekhistorytime on Twitter. Great. Well, also, I'm sorry, I forgot yeah. about this one. You can find us on uh, uh, Spotify and uh, the i uh, the Apple uh, Podcasts app and Stitcher. Uh, and when you find us on any of those places, please give us a five star review. Please subscribe. Uh, and yeah, cool. That's. That's where we can be found collectively. Well, for a geek history of time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, geek history prevails. <laughs>